Today's show is a part two in a series on holistic admissions. If you missed last show with um, Jabrur from the uh, American Dental Education Association, you should definitely check that show out. Um, it is available on YouTube. Uh, but today, I'm delighted to welcome Drs. Jenny Hodgson, Jackie Pelzer, and Linda Lord from Virginia, Maryland, College of uh, Veterinary Medicine and The Ohio State. Universities, School of Veterinary Medicine, respectively. Both of these institutions have seen significant growth in the number of students of color enrolled in the, their professional programs. So I've invited them to come on and talk about how they've achieved this growth, did it impact other sectors of diversity, and what seems to be on the horizon for their institutions with respect to admissions policies and practices. So thank you all for joining us. So uh, we're going to start with uh, Dr. Lord. Uh, Linda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Ohio State? Thank you. So I'm the Associate Dean for the Professional Program here, which means um, all things student and curriculum uh, fall under me. And one of those areas is obviously admissions, which is why I'm here today. I'm Jenny Hodgson, and I'm the Associate Dean for Professional Programs here at Virginia, Maryland, and like Linda, have oversight of um, all things to do with students, the curriculum, and also admissions. And I am very fortunate to also have a, an offsider who works very close, who I work very close with, and that's Dr. Pelzer. Hi, I'm Jackie Pelzer. I'm Director of Admissions and Student Affairs here at Virginia, Maryland, and I have oversight of the admissions process. All right, wonderful. Thank you. And the folks at Virginia, Maryland. Linda, why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about how the admissions process is laid out currently at Ohio State. Um, so I think we're like a lot of schools in that um, we have gone most definitely more towards a holistic review and trying to really look at um, our applicants as a whole with with the goal of really trying to recruit um, not only the best and the brightest, but more important, most importantly, I think, is to have a really diverse class that represents society. Um, we, um, I think this year, um, made some changes to be much more intentional about our approach to diversity. And so um, we have an admissions committee like most folks, and we have initial screenings that we look at related to um, academics. And then we have a holistic look at the file and um, then go to the interview process, which we weight pretty heavily here. So I know we're gonna get into more detail, but that's sort of a nutshell of the, of the areas we look at. Okay. And at Virginia, Maryland? Uh, Lisa, yeah, I think it was a very, very similar process to what Linda described. We've, um, again, uh, we have an admissions committee, quite large committee, and uh, we do an academic ranking. We have de-emphasized um, academics over the years. It used to be a huge percentage of our process, but we have uh, lowered that percentage. Still, still relevant to the, to the admissions uh, process. Um, but we have identified specific uh, characteristics and traits that um, our committee will review uh, uh, for each application. We actually review all applications. We no longer have a GP GPA cutoffs, a minimum GPA to apply here to this program. And, and then we use oh, wow. that, that, um, that committee review and, and also that academic record to um, rank for interviews and then we interview a, a certain number through the MMI process and the other thing that we do is we set that score at zero before that interview process and then select entirely off the MMI. So um, why don't we uh, keep the questions going? 
So um, for Ginny and Jackie, can you tell us a little bit about maybe how things have changed maybe in the last, I guess, five or more years, however, whatever that time frame is that you've kind of seen um, some big changes in the way that you do admissions? So Jenny and I actually started around around the same time and um, again, very fortunate to have her support and, and the Dean's support at the time. I, I guess I was, um, when I went through school actually here at this program, I was very traumatized by my interview process here. It was a panel interview and I clearly recall um, some of my uh, fellow or colleagues that were interviewing at the time, they might have come out crying from the interview or they had very different questions than, than I had. Um, and I, I guess I, that just resonated or, or left an impact on me that I felt like it really wasn't a very structured or objective process. So when, when I started this job, that was really one of the things that I, I wanted to uh, see a change uh, in the admissions process. And so we began looking at um, literature and we, we found uh, several article, journal articles on the multiple mini interview and really made an evidence-based decision to implement that interview process in 2010. Um, and that, that, I think that's been the biggest change uh, since, since we actually started in our admissions process. And, and I think also to changing how we, um, what, uh, what emphasis we give in that whole interview process. And so as, as, as Jackie mentioned, the emphasizing academics, not saying that academics aren't important, but not saying that they are the most important thing. So it's the emphasizing that academics and, and, and understanding that there are other attributes that candidates can bring forward. And so trying to consider those more holistically. So what has the impact been? Yeah, so, you know, certainly I, I believe that we have diversified our classes because of the multiple mini interview. We're interviewing, uh, more candidates than we did historically prior to the multiple mini interview. Um, but I, and it's difficult to measure, and I hope that someday we can develop a tool to measure it. But the feeling uh, from our faculty is that they're actually teaching a different type of student um, than we traditionally had. And not to say that when I went through that we were, we were uh, not uh, capable in these different competencies that we can talk about later. It's just that I think we've created a diverse learning environment by bringing in students with different uh, life experiences. Um, and I don't, we don't have the exact numbers in front of us, but we do know that the um, proportion of students entering the class um, from diverse backgrounds, including different racial um, backgrounds, different um, ethnicities, but also too, we have more males entering the program now and that can be considered diversity in veterinary education. We also have more students from um, um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And so, so we try to be broadly, and we try to really broaden that diversity as well um, and, and consider those when we're looking at, at you know, the results of, of this change process. Sure. Um, so if folks want to look at um, some of our data on our website under public data, they'll, you'll, you'll see that Virginia, Maryland is, is currently, I think, about the, the sixth most racially and ethnically diverse campus, um, with last year's enrollment being about 22%. Uh, and, and for us, that was, even though that's certainly not where we'd like to be, given Virginia's, um, 
um, cultural and racial mix, um, it's certainly a lot better than it was and, and we had struggled in the past to recruit um, students, diverse students to this campus because we're in a very rural um, southwest um, part of Virginia and and so it's it was really trying to get students to feel that they were comfortable on this campus and that they were welcomed into our college which was another really big thing. Um, you know, it's one thing to interview the students, but they have to accept your offers. And so, so we've also worked really hard at making it a very welcoming process when they come in to interview. So uh, I was saying, you know, and I think that you were responding that that you're seeing a lot of different kinds of diversity um, at the institution, and, and um, while the demographics of Virginia and certainly also Maryland, which you serve, both um, both states maybe still quite a bit different. 22% um, is still, um, it is above our national average um, within veterinary medicine by quite a bit. So, um, so that's certainly noteworthy. So what's going on at Ohio State, Linda? Yeah, <laughs> I think all doing? it's interesting because while we do some things differently than Virginia, I think um, a lot of the things that we value or look at are very similar. I've been in this job for now five years and um, we use behavioral interviewing, so it's a, it's a structured interview, but a little bit of a different approach than multi-mini interviews, and we've done that for some time and, and have, you know, for, uh, training that all interviewers are required to do. I think um, when I took the job, you know, we were really teetering in terms of our diversity numbers, not really moving the needle very much, and um, we were fortunate to have our new dean, Rustin Moore, come on board about a year ago, and diversity is one of his... Um, uh, biggest goals for the for the college in many respects, not just looking at diversity in terms of underrepresented minorities, but across the spectrum, as, as Jenny talked about. And so I think some of the changes that we made this year in terms of being very intentional around diversity started all the way from the dean giving a charge to the admissions committee about the value um, of diversity. We instituted um, in all of our training of both, we have file reviewers and interviewers, and we instituted um, training around using the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. Our mm -hmm. Associate Dean for Diversity and Inclusion um, put together a PowerPoint that everybody was required to watch. And then we actually um, made sure that we um, were looking at diversity explicitly in the file review process to decide who we would take to interviews. Um, and then certainly in, in that, in the file review also, making sure we consider things around community. Diversity even can be inherent, it can also be acquired, you know, uh, community service, what kind of experiences mm -hmm. does an applicant have to maybe expose themselves to a world outside of their own. So we've looked at it very broadly and I think it's been interesting. We've also even emphasized, uh, um, it. our dean will mention it at our admissions dinners. I talk about it in our uh, the admissions talk that I do. Um, on the day that applicants come to interview. And so uh, exactly what has worked, I don't know. And I don't, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know whether it's a fluke or not, but I will say that this year our numbers are up. Um, we've uh, up about 50% in terms of male students. Um, and we have doubled our diverse, our underrepresented minority numbers. We'll be at almost 30% this year for our class. So we're thrilled about that. Um, and, um, you know, the, the key will be to see then how we do going forward and, and if we continue using similar strategies that we've done, if that continues to help us in those numbers. So we're thrilled and, and excited to see how things go. So I've got a couple of follow-up questions. Could you talk a little bit more about the behavioral interview? So it's pretty structured. 
Um, how is it different? So can you um, maybe talk a little bit about um, how it's structured? Multiple mini interviews for folks that are listening, typically um, you, students are kind of given, or applicants are given a, a very brief scenario. You're there for a few minutes. You kind of um, respond to things. And, and certainly there is some pretty significant training for um, the interviewers, um, but tell us a little bit about how that's different, how the process that you're doing is different from multiple mini interviews. I think the, the underlying premise with behavioral interviewing is past performance is predictive of future behavior. So um, we, we tend to look at, um, and, and we certainly tweak it and change it every year, so our questions don't necessarily stay the same or even the categories that we're looking at, but say for example that we wanna look at teamwork then perhaps you're going to ask a question around, tell us about a time that you, and maybe you're interested in conflict, right? And so tell us about a time that you worked with a team, um, what that looked like, and, um, you know, if you had a conflict, how you might have resolved that. I mean, um, that's that's just a broad example of what a, a, a question might look like. So we try to work with the interviewers on, um, so there's specific questions, so people are asking the same questions. And then um, we really have a very detailed rubric about how we score. Um, both in the FAW review and in the interview to try to get people on the same page as best we can. Okay, all right. So, um, and then for both of them, and I'll, I'll keep with Linda for just a, another um, couple of minutes. Um, it, it sounds like um, the Dean played a pretty um, important role in setting the tone for how um, your admissions committee would be moving forward and kind of um, how training might evolve for, for that group. Um, could you tell us a little bit, I mean, certainly this is something that was important to him, not just in terms of color, but talk about a little bit about, I guess, of, of, of the Dean's interest in this area. Um. I think that Rustin, I think that, I don't want to speak for Rustin, but I'll say that I think that Rustin recognizes the value and fortune, and certainly and it, there's literature that states that when you put together a diverse group of people, they are more productive, they, they better problem solve, um, we, you tend to have better outcomes. And I think he really believes in and values um, the, the concept that veterinary medicine shouldn't be the widest profession, that we ought to better mirror um, and reflect society, but he doesn't just see that in terms of color. I think he sees that in terms of socioeconomic background, um, sexual orientation, gender, all of those things are really important, right? So that we create this environment of inclus inclusivity that I think um, what it is inherent that we all should value. And I, and I think that Rustin, um, that comes up a lot with him in terms of, you know, it's not just about admissions for vet school. It's throughout how he believes that the college should, should be and, and how we should uh, reflect society. Sure. And uh, Virginia, Maryland, I know that um, that your dean has been there for a few years now. It's Dr. Um, Cyril Clark, formerly of Oregon. Um, and I know that that we've seen some pretty big changes. And one of the things that I thought was most interesting um, was a few years ago, I guess, after he arrived that the college's mission, um, the wording of it changed. And one of the, the most striking things was that the word diversity was very explicitly added um, to the college mission. So could you talk a little bit about that and how that happened and, um, and does that have an impact on the way that you approach admissions? 
So, so I mean, one of the reasons why it came about is that we had a COE visit, and um, so, as you know, and I'm sure many of you know, that around that time we look at everything that we're doing as a college, and one of the, the requirements in Standard 1, I think it is, is our mission statement, and what that was, so it was a really good time for us to sit and look at that mission statement, and it was relatively shortly after Cyril had arrived. So, so we did look at it, and Cyril, um, did a really good thing in, in asking the college widely about what we thought should be included in the mission statement. And of course, then Jackie said, well, it's very important to have diversity in there as, as part of our mission statement. So that's, that's where it got included in the college-wide mission statement. And then additionally to that, Jackie's created a mission statement specifically for the admissions committee that again, very explicitly states that, that commitment to diversity. And I think, you know, as, as I think that you've implied, Lisa, is that, that it's really important that that this message comes from all levels in a college, and and certainly um, having support of the dean and 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 his strong support in this area makes it then um, easier to implement um, policy changes in, in the college. Mm -hmm. Would you add anything to that, Jackie? Um, I also think though that having the the statement regarding diversity in our college mission statement certainly legally supports our admissions review process. Um, and with the recent Supreme Court decision, um, I'm, I'm very proud to say that we have that word diversity in our mission statement. So that, that really helps the admissions committee immensely. Sure. And for folks that may not um, be aware of the case that um, Jackie is referring to, the U.S. Supreme Court just um, it is second ruling on Fisher versus um, the University of Texas, and um, they reaffirmed the original decision. And um, you know, as a part of these cases, this idea and this concept of being mission driven, um, you know, remains very important to um, the work of the university work around diversity. And that so having those kinds of um, those kinds of um, documents and pieces of language um, as a part, that language as a part of official kind of mission-driven documentation at an institution um, does provide also some, some certainly some legal force there. So um, what kinds of training, um, and Linda mentioned um, Project Implicit from Harvard, which is a, a great, great, great resource. Um, for folks to just kind of go on and, and um, see where they <laughs> where they fall. I mean, I'll talk a little bit about that um, later, but what kinds of um, training at Virginia, Maryland do you do for your um, members of your admissions committee? So we do, um, we had uh, actually McMaster's group who developed the multiple mini interviews they came in the first year that we implemented the MMIs uh, and did the training for us, um, which was uh, wonderful uh, that, that they did that. Uh, they're very well known within the medical education field and took the time to visit with us. Uh, and then when we uh, began the holistic review process, we had uh, a member from AAMC, which is our, our colleagues within medical education come in and do the holistic training for our admissions committee. Um, prior to the multiple mini interviews, though, uh, Jenny and I do all the interviewer training, and that is a mandatory training process for all of the stakeholders that come in to, to participate in those interviews. Okay. 
And Linda, what kind of trainings um, do you offer your committee? Uh, I mentioned about the implicit bias. We, we do in-person training. Everybody's required to either attend a training or um, because we have in the interview process, we do have some alumni that interview. They can also watch a podcast that we do. Um, but everybody's required and they sign off that they do to either in-person or via podcast um, watch both trainings for file review and trainings for interviews. Okay, great. So um, do both of the institutions do, and I know that, that we've had some questions um, about, I guess, nuts and bolts um, in this. Do one of the things that DeBrew mentioned last week was um, this idea of full file review. And I know that both of your institutions get a lot of applications. So how do you manage um, the review process um, I guess from a technical aspect when you're getting, you know, probably a thousand applications for a hundred seats or 165 seats at Ohio State. So how does that, how does that work? Um, Linda, why don't, why don't we start with you? Because <laughs> you have a lot of seats. So, you know, we have a lot of people that file review. We, at this point, we're still transitioning. We do not review every single file. So we do use some cutoffs to decide on what what people move to file review, um, but we do review a lot of files, um, and we've got a pretty good group that do it. That most people who participated have done it now for several years, um, take it very seriously, and so. But you know, for us to even review the numbers that we do, it does take a pretty dedicated group of people to do it. And how many applicants did you have last year? We've been about the last couple three years. We've been at about 1,200 applicants. Wow, that's that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of work. Um, so in Virginia, um, Jenny, Becky, how many applicants did you have, and and um, are how close are you to kind of full file review? So we had over 1,400 applicants last year, and we reviewed every single packet if it was complete, and I think almost all of them were. Um, and we have 15 admissions committee members, and it's just a dedicated group, and we divide those applications up and do complete file reviews cover to cover. Wow. So if we have any pre-vet students um, listening <laughs> to this podcast, this is why it takes a while to get your letters. Right? That's exactly right. And, and <laughs> that's, an, that's an excellent point because we do, um, you know, come down to the wire when we invite uh, applicants for interviews. And, and that's exactly why is because we, we take each applicant's story seriously. Yeah. Sure. So um, we did have one question that was submitted um, in advance um, to the podcast, and that that question related to um, the predictiveness of um, of uh, non the non technical or the um, cognitive non cognitive um, competencies in the application process. And so I know that. Um, the folks at Virginia, Maryland have kind of taken a look at this and you've got a number of data to kind of um, talk about this. So um, can, you talk a little, can you talk about that question a little bit? <laughs> um, so, so Calgary actually was the first veterinary school in North America to implement the multiple mini interview. We were the second. Texas A&M was the third. 
And so we really have about 10 years of data regarding the multiple mini interview. We can certainly correlate some of those characteristics with students' performance within the clinical year. Uh, we, we don't have sufficient data at this point to talk about their life after graduation. But what we can what we can say for our particular program is that we do see a direct correlation with um, assessment of their uh, professionalism and ethical and moral judgment uh, during MMIs with those that uh, with that uh, assessment during clinical year. Um, and we certainly are looking into the other conferences as well, but that's what we have found so far. Um, so, so I think the question that, that was asked was about, um, they pointed out that the correlation with student success in veterinary school is the student's GPA in rigorous prerequisite science classes and some of their GRE scores are only mildly correlated. And, and that isn't surprising if, if you're looking at it depends on what you um, define as success. So if you define this as success in veterinary school, their GPA, whether it's years one through three or the whole their whole GPA for the four years, and you want to correlate that with something, it's not surprising that that it correlates well. So test assessment test correlates well with test assessment. But I guess we would argue you need to be thinking about success in in different ways. And, and what makes a successful veterinary student, or more importantly, what makes a successful veterinarian may not necessarily correlate with a, a GPA. So, so in some ways, it's a way of your, what your definition of success is and how much you believe, truly believe in, and maybe a broader, more diverse view of success, and, and then try and make those correlations. But as Jackie mentioned, they are not as easy to make as a correlation between a GPA pre-veterinary college and a GPA in veterinary college, which tend to correlate very well. And, and Lisa, I think two things. One, I think it's, it's been a big cultural philosophical change here within our college community, and, and that might not work for another, another veterinary college, but we certainly have uh, changed the way that we're defining what a successful student or a successful graduate might look like, and that has impacted our, our overall um, admissions process. So. Um, again, it's it's not something that might work for all programs, but it's it's been a conscious choice on our part uh, to make that shift. Um, those are some fantastic points, I think, um, in terms of redefining success. And I know that there's been a lot of work around that type of question um, in undergrad, and you know, it's kind of a um, well-documented and kind of even anecdotal kind of fact around, you know, the, 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 the BC student <laughs> tends to outpace <laughs> the straight-A student um, over the lifetime of a career. So um, rock on for those students that, that uh, you know, <laughs> seem to be underperforming, but it's certainly not. Um, they have certainly other competencies that um, make up for, for those grades. So, um, so Linda, what are you, what kinds of competencies, I guess, are both of your institutions um, looking for? So we know that you want um, good grades, right? Um, and we know that those grades are predictive of future um, uh, performance in, in terms of a I guess, quantitative assessment. But what are those other things that you may be looking for and using the admissions process to um, sort out? Well, I think it's difficult, right? I think we all want 
we look for qualities in leadership. We look for qualities in strong um, teamwork. We look for um, self-awareness. I mean, you know, some of these things are hard to get at, right? So you attempt them in admissions and then hope that they come through. But those translate out, I think, later in terms of how people do in a clinical environment. Yes, we want them to have strong medical knowledge. They need to have good technical skills. But I would argue that interpersonal skills and professionalism in the clinic are are two of the most important things and certainly things that we are evaluating in the clinical year. So um, as best we can, we're hopeful that some of the processes we have may look for things that would contribute to that in the in the clinical year. And then as they point, as uh, Jenny and Jackie pointed out, most importantly is then how does that play out in their career? And I think we all struggle with evaluating that partially because it's it's difficult to get strong response rates on, on alumni and employer surveys. That's something we all grapple with. So a much harder thing to look at our people, say, five and 10 years out. Um, so for, so you're, you're just two schools out of many around the world um, in our membership. What um, advice would you give to some of our other member institutions that are interested in kind of moving into um, a more holistic approach to um, uh, admissions? Um, so we'll start with Virginia, Maryland, and then um, as, as Linda, you guys are kind of right on the cusp of that. You're, you're just really kind of starting down that path. So, um, so we'll start with, with Jackie and Jenny. What, what advice as seasoned <laughs> folks are, would you give to the newbies? Well, I, I, I think some lessons learned is um, to engage stakeholders, including students and uh, those out in the profession uh, to engage them in the process. Uh, small steps in implementation. You need to have lots of discussion. Um, change is can be painful, but change can be good. And you learn. And you know, we want our students to be reflective practitioners. Well, we need to be that as well. And just always reflecting on the process, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, be flexible and and realize that. You know, things might not always work the way that you expect, but but be able be willing to change and and review the process every year. I think in regard and and specifically for us, it was the multiple mini interview process that we certainly have learned a lot from implementing that process, and uh, it it improves every year. Every year we learn something about not only our candidates but the process itself. And, and then I think the other thing to that is is being really trying to be critical about looking at the metrics, understanding that they sometimes take time to change and that they can vary. That you know you're trying to look for trends and, and really identify specific trends and then trying to say, well, what is it that we did or what didn't we do to to get it? Trying to identify where is we want to go to as well. And so, Linda, on the on the very kind of front end of, of change, um, what advice would you give to your colleagues? Yeah, I mean, we've had change for a while, probably just a little bit of a different focus this year. I yeah. think no matter what you do, I think you're going to have to have buy-in from upper administration. So it's important, I think, for um, the dean to be on board. I think it's important to, for the admissions committee to know that. And ultimately, you want your faculty, right, to have buy-in. Um, and that helps trickle down and, and, you know, we have very strong support in our admissions process from our alumni and that's been uh, very, very helpful. We have students involved, so we have a, 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 a enormous um, buy-in.
process, and I think that that really helps um, create some continuity and, and um, people taking it seriously and, and helping it be successful. Great. So, thinking, I guess, big picture um, and thinking about reframing admissions as a, as a hiring, kind of in a hiring paradigm, what kind of advice might you give? Oh, yeah, I'm making you stretch now. What kind of advice might you give to your future employers of your graduates in terms of, um, you know, explaining explaining how you select students? Because I'm sure that they're they're certainly your big one of your biggest stakeholders, right? Um, but also kind of your guidance to um, the profession at large as as those hire those future employers of your graduates that they should be mindful about um, knowing that they need these folks that have really great clinical aptitude, but um, sort of encouraging them to look at other things as well. So um, any comments on that from anybody? Uh, I actually think that that's what employers are looking for. I think what we're doing in admissions actually uh, supports the notion that uh, I, I would argue that probably most of our employers, and if I talk about practitioners, um, yes, they want somebody with good clinical skills and good medical knowledge, but they also know that some of that is going to improve and be learned on the job. Um, harder to teach somebody to be ethical or professional or to be a strong communicator. And so if we do a good job in our process of trying to provide a well-rounded, well-balanced student. I think we are meeting actually the needs and the and the requirements of what our employers are looking for. No, I, so, I think we we would agree completely with Linda, and um, so yeah, that's that's I think what often they they focus on um, when they're interviewing. The other thing is is I think that as Jackie was saying earlier. And I think that what Linda was saying is, is that we involve um, our our stakeholders or our employers a lot. And so over the multiple years that we've been in multiple in, in interviews, and we have 32 people interviewing at one time, so you can bring in a lot of, of um, practitioners. And so a lot of our Virginia and Maryland practitioners have, have experienced that process. And I think that that helps them understand that they're the sort of characteristics that we're looking for. And I think that they're completely in support of that. And then then know to look for those same characteristics potentially when they're hiring four years later. Um, so one of the biggest questions I think that um, we hear when we talk about um, admissions is we are looking at the applicant pool. So, um, and, and how do we diversify the pool so that there are um, more students, um, qualified students, to kind of look at and evaluate and potentially admit. So I kind of like the, to shift the focus a little bit and talk about admission, um, at recruitment, and um, find out what kinds of programs, um, whether they are summer enrichment programs, what kind of ages are you targeting, and um, how are you kind of um, reaching out in your respective states to kind of work on building pools. Certainly you have a lot of applicants, um, but is the pool really kind of what you um, want it to be currently? So who wants to take that first? Well, recruitment is, is um, very important to our, our college, um, and the dean fully supports recruitment. Uh, to us, what recruitment means, though, is building relationships. It's, it's um, 
and, and sometimes relationships just take a long time to develop. So these aren't these aren't candidates that we might meet one time. These are candidates that we might uh, work with over years and and from a very you know from high school actually. We're very fortunate. We made a hire last year of an assistant director for of admissions, uh, Dr. Sitterly, and so we're able to target a, a wide uh, age range. So um, working even from elementary now through through undergrad. So that that again, I think that that's really um, helps our ability to attract uh, more applicants. Um, but that's really. The number of applicants to us, it, it, you know, sure, it looks it looks great, but that's not what, what's important to us. It's, it's, again, those relationships that we develop with candidates. And, and but we do try and target, obviously, a, a diverse group of people, because you can't get diversity unless you're targeting diversity to, or recruiting for diversity. So, so we do... You know, look, sit down and look. How can we target people that are, or how can we get, as Jackie said, how can we develop relationships with a diverse group of people? And so that they're, that we're trying, and we're trying to equally target these various groups. We don't, you know, focus most of our attention on on the traditional people that get into, into veterinary medicine. We really try and, and identify groups that may be less traditional, less traditionally likely to apply to veterinary medicine and, and specifically try and target those groups so that we can increase that diversity. So, so I think, you know, for us, you know, we suffer a lot of the same challenges, have the same challenges as most universities, right? You, you Recruitment is very important and it's, and, you know, how, how do you reach as many people as you can in that process? And, you know, we just finished a, our vet camp that we do in the summer. We had 49 High school students, most of them um, from uh, a, a wide background, either underrepresented minorities, economic um, disadvantaged, socioeconomic, different um, geographic regions, and um, so we really—that's an example of the kind of thing we do. Because we take a lot of out-of-state students, we certainly try to be at a, at a lot of the conferences where we hope to meet a lot of different folks that we can talk to about Ohio State, but. I think, as you know, and the work that AAVMC does, that really this is a, a challenge for us as a profession. It's not something that individual schools are going to solve on their own. Indra alluded to it as well. Is, is it's about trying to develop uh, a national strategy for for increasing um, applications in general to veterinary medical education, but particularly a diverse applications. And so, and so, and, I, and I'm sure that that the AAVMC admissions group is working hard on this. But it's about about again, you know, seeking best practices, thinking more outside the box, thinking about other ways that we can be doing that. But but I'm sure you know we're all aware and and, and some a little bit concerned about the overall application numbers in veterinary medical education. So so really to increase diversity and it requires increased applications as well and and making sure that those applications are necessarily diverse. And so some coming up with I think is a national strategy. I think would be a one good step that we could we could work towards. What do you think about that, Jackie? Well, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that you know we encourage uh, teamwork and team building with our students. That I, I would really like to see colleges begin working together and share, maybe sharing resources um, with with one another in regards to um, recruitments. Um, you know, we, we work with several other uh, colleges when we go out to recruit. And we're certainly uh, willing to 
uh, share things like booth space and uh, any any information that we can to recruit for the overall profession. Um, I think there needs to be more scholarship in the area of student selection uh, from the colleges. Uh, again, just sharing best practices that we can uh, use evidence-based student selection processes. Um, those are a few of the things that, that I would like to see in the future. So, any parting words from uh, from each of you, Linda? Any parting words? No, I just I really appreciate the opportunity to participate, and um, I think all the schools have great strengths of how they do admissions. So it's been nice to be able to share a few things that we do here. Wonderful. Thank you Thank for you participating. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Jenny Jackie. Any parting words? Again, I, I, I think Linda's absolutely right. I think all the veterinary schools here in the United States, worldwide, are just great, great programs and, and that we all have different approaches and just like a diverse learning environment, we can learn from one another in our, in our current student selection process. Wonderful. If you are watching or listening to this podcast um, after the fact, um, and you have additional questions, please don't hesitate to send them to diversitymatters at aavmc.org. And I will um, try to see if our speakers can field those questions after the fact, and we will make those answers available um, on a future podcast. So with that, I will wrap this show up. Thank you so much to our guests. Um, I really appreciate it. This has been a great discussion, and we look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. 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 Bye.